Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 84. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, as Valentine's Day is right around the corner, our relationships often come front and center in our lives. The holiday usually revolves around our romantic interests, but what about our friendships? Those people who are there for us through thick and thin. We'll spend the next three weeks looking at how our faith can help us do friendship better. Starting off with one of the most powerful friendships in all of God's story. Check it out. It's been said that if you have five close friends across the entirety of your life, you're a blessed person. The alternative uh, is a state that is a bit rough, to be lonely. To think you can say, you know what, I got this life thing figured out, I don't need other people around me. If you've ever experienced real loneliness, it's a dark place. If you haven't, you're a blessed person. But you may hear that number that I say, five close friends, and think, you know what, I got that smoked, I'm running circles around that by the time I was 13. I mean, I got 753 friends, just look at my Facebook profile. I mean, come on, five, I had that in three and a half minutes. But I'm not talking about Facebook friends or acquaintances or those that we talk to at the water cooler about the game. I'm talking about lifelong friends. I'm talking about the people who really know you and choose to like you anyway. That's what we're going to be looking at over these next couple of weeks in the series Friendology. Because as Valentine's Day comes about, relationships kind of come to the forefront of people's minds. Usually in the context of thinking about romantic relationships. I will admit, for the longest time until I met Rachel, February 14th was Singles Awareness Day rather than Valentine's Day. So, you know, if that's the case too, I get that as well. You know, there's times when we think about family relationships, and you know, we've certainly talked about that over the last couple of months. But this relationship of friends, it's not something we often talk about or maybe work on. I want to say, how do we find those close friends? But I think it more starts out with how do we learn to be one of those close friends? And we're going to start off this series looking at probably one of the most solid friendships in all of of writing that I can think of, certainly in the Bible. Two guys, David and Jonathan. Two guys that were, I mean, these guys were brothers from another mother. I mean, soulmates is, though we don't often use that word with guys, it's not overstating the relationship that they had. I mean, they just clicked on a whole nother level. But they were unique in many ways as well. I mean, for guys, at the risk of completely oversimplifying things, a lot of guy relationships are external. Guys get together over a task. They get together to fix a car or to watch a game or go shoot something, hopefully during hunting season. We do stuff together, yes, but it's usually something kind of outside, outside of of us. My best friend and I, we've been friends probably about 25 years. 90% of our friendship is like this, where we get together And there's usually something in common that we're doing, but we have a way of working together like nobody else I've ever worked with. That we could take the most complicated job or project, whatever it is we're doing, and without even talking to each other, just sort of read each other's minds, finish each other's sentences, 
that kind of thing. That's a lot of how guy relationships are. Or, on the flip side, we get ultra-competitive. We get, I can do whatever you can do, I can do better or bigger or more epically, or I can end up on more newspaper headlines than you for doing something crazy and college-esque. Maybe it's a barbarian instinct among guys, I don't know. But I can say that as a guy, so ladies, please don't try that line because it's not going to score any points come Friday. But David and Jonathan are different. Again, soulmates does not overstate their relationship. But they're different in the sense that David is God's anointed to become king over Israel. Pretty high honor. Jonathan, his best friend, is the current king's oldest son. He's Saul's son. Now hear this. When Jonathan is the king's son, oldest prince, if you will, that means Jonathan is in line for the throne. Jonathan, by all rules and regulations, is set to become king of Israel. David is God's anointed to be king instead of Saul, instead of Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was a faithful person, faithful to God, but was not God's choice for whatever reason. And then when David beats Goliath and he comes back, after this huge victory, basically freeing the Israelites from the Philistines that were trying to overrun them, we run into our passage for today. Or at least the start of it. Out of 1 Samuel 18. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the king in the castle, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house, took David in. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, Jonathan had every reason to be jealous of David, maybe even to hate David. And he was the oldest son. He was the biological son of Saul. And here, David is getting brought in from the outside to be Saul's right-hand man. His man that is celebrated about this victory over Goliath. The man who, when Saul's spirit was all tied up in knots and he couldn't sleep, he would call David in to calm him down. Jonathan had every reason to be jealous, every reason to hate David. But instead, he loved him. We often don't associate such words, but it says he loved him as he loved his own soul. And yet, for all the reasons Jonathan would have had to hate David or to be jealous of David, we see Saul being the one who's jealous. As David comes back, he's a military leader. He comes back from yet another incredible victory, marching into town, probably with his entourage. And the women of the town, they start singing in verse 17. And the women sang to one another as they made merry. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now these two numbers, poetically, they often just ran together. Thousand, ten thousand. There wasn't a body count that they were doing as they sang this song. And yet Saul takes it personally. Why is David getting credit for ten thousand kills? I'm only getting a thousand. I'm the king here. What's going on? And Saul starts to get jealous. Starts to get his crosshairs on David. And starts to see him as a threat. 
But for Jonathan, it's different. Jonathan sees David, instead of being a threat, as a friend. And recognizes as well his place in God's story. So we see in verse 4, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. There is something very symbolic here going on in what Jonathan is doing, in that these are all accoutrements, things that symbolize Jonathan as being, I'm the heir to the throne. I'm going to be the next king. I've got the sword, I've got the robe, I've got the crown, all that sort of stuff. And he takes it and he gives it to David. He takes his kingship, he takes his right to become king, and he gives it to David. He recognizes, David, you're the one God called to this, not me. I love you as a friend enough. I'm not going to try and fight you over this. Here you go. It's yours. He acknowledges God's choice for David rather than Saul and rather than for Jonathan. Again, as faithful as Jonathan was, as great a king as Jonathan may very well have been. Now, does that mean that we have to give up our kingdoms in order to have friends? Is that what it means to be a good friend? No. Though if giving up your kingdom for a friend is an issue, well, that's a unique situation that I can't really speak into because I don't know a whole lot about having to give up a kingdom for a friend. But it does give us a sense of what real lifelong friendship looks like with people. What it's built on. Because culture will say that our friendship should be built on certain things, should be built on what's in it for me. How, what do I get out of it? How can this benefit me? Christian says, well, how do I base my friendships on Christ? What would that look like? And what does it look like, practically speaking, to be the kind of friend that is lifelong? The kind of friend that deserves that kind of closeness with somebody? Well, Jonathan is an ultimate example, but I think the how-to kind of gets spelled out even more in the New Testament. When Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 2, the first, I'll read the first two verses and, and go from there. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, Paul says to these people, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, being in full accord and in one mind. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or from vain conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Again, Jonathan's kind of the ultimate example of it. Because he's looking out for David. And ultimately, he ends up looking out for him at his own peril, even. Because Jonathan's not quite so sure how Saul is reacting to David and everything like that and the crosshairs that he has David in. So he kind of checks him at, a, at the dinner table. And he realizes Saul is ready to kill David. He's got bloodthirst on his mind. And so Jonathan, he sends David away. He says, you know what? Dad's trying to kill you. Get out of here. Go get safe. And when Jonathan tells his dad about this, you know what? Saul's anger turns to Jonathan. What are you doing? Why are you giving up your kingship to this guy? He looks out for his friend. As Paul continues saying, spelling out for us in verse 4, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
I mean, isn't that what friendship is really all about? Being willing to step in, being willing to help just go meet a need, even if it's inconvenient for us. We don't think about what's in it for me. That's got no place in real friendship. If you've got that, you know that's not what you think of. When your friend has a need, when your friend is hurt or in trouble, you just jump in. You do whatever you can. Somebody had said, true friends are always there when you need them. False friends are only there when they need you. Pretty good summation of things, isn't it? But the good news is, we're not asked to do this, we're not told to do this by somebody who's sitting off on the sidelines with no experience as a real friend. Because Jesus had it all. Forget David and his heart playing to put Saul to sleep. Jesus had, I'm going to use a little creative license here, Jesus probably had literal heavenly choirs of angels willing to sing him to sleep. He had everything in heaven, all the blessings. I'm guessing it was a little inconvenient for Jesus to leave all of that to come walk among us. Yet, we are able to choose our friends first, to put our friends first, because Jesus put us first. That's what allows us to do that. That's what allows us to have that mindset that says, you know what, I'm actually going to think of somebody else first, rather than what do I need, what do I want, what's in it for me. He chose us, which allows us to choose somebody else. Awesome blessing of of friendship. And when we've got that, when we've got that somebody who is willing to put us first, you know how special that is. That's why that number, five people who are willing to do that across your life, that's a blessed life right there. So what am I going to give you for next steps for this week? How do we do this? Well, I'll take a bit easy on you guys this week because I know I gave you a big doozy last week. Do you have a friend that maybe you haven't talked to in a while, haven't hung out with? Life just gets nuts sometimes. I get it. (laughs) Believe me. My best friend that I said I've known for 25 years, if we get to hang out once or twice a year, we're pretty lucky. His life and our life and just getting the two to line up is a, is a trick, as, as well as we work together. But if you've got that somebody, try this week to be intentional about reaching out to them. Give them a call, you know, just to even shoot the breeze. If you can, get together, grab some coffee, go fix a car, go shoot something legally. Whatever it is that, that marks how your friendship works, be intentional about it. Reach out. And remember this. Friendship isn't about who you've known the longest. It's about who's walked into your life, said I'm there for you, and proved it. May you have those kind of friends. May you be that kind of friend to those around you. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.